we're going to continue our sermon series, I Don't Wanna, where we've been talking all about responsibility. And some of you that may have been watching or here in person last week might have noticed that's the same funny video we watched last week, Caitlin. Like, what's up with that? Wasn't as funny the second time, right? Well, I'm not going to say who was irresponsible, but <clears throat> Pastor Taylor maybe um, dropped the ball on getting the funny video that I sent him onto the screen today. We just like to give him a hard time, and I thought it fit in with our responsibility theme. Uh, I'm sure he'll listen back to this and love it. Um, love the shout out. But I had a funny video. It was a commercial where there was a little boy and his dad was going to pass him the car keys um, to this new Subaru or whatever the car was advertising for. And they said, you know, son, is it, you ready for your turn? And he throws in the keys and it flashes to <laughs> him driving this car, this little child, um, having to drop his dad off at work having to honk at the people around him when he was running late, having to go fill up with gas when the light came on. And he said, nah, threw the keys back, right? He did not want that responsibility. And I think that many of us can relate to that in our lives. As adults, most of us in this room have responsibilities that even though we have them, we don't really want them, right? Um, I know in my life that would include um, cooking, cleaning, paying the bills, the things that come with adulthood, and there's no take back on those responsibilities, unfortunately, but we do get to choose how well we are doing those responsibilities, right? Um, when we're saying, I don't wanna, and when instead we are stepping up to take action. We have a choice to either step up, like Pastor Taylor said last week in his message, and take action, or to step out on those responsibilities. And that's just kind of what we're faced with, right? And I, I like to give the example, too, of the car, um, personally for myself, that I, as a teenager, was not the most responsible person. Probably shouldn't have had a license to drive at that time. Um, but I would often ignore the fact that my car was running low on gas. And I would step out on that responsibility. And the impact of that was my car often stalled out in just the most random places. And luckily, living in a small town, people would just like bring you gas, you'd call somebody, but you know, it's not that easy all the time. And that's a big deal when your car just stalls out. Parents, make sure you tell your kids about this. It's a lesson learned. But the reason that I think we step out on our responsibilities is because we know the impact. Even though we know the outcome, that I knew my car would run out of gas at some point, I still didn't fill it up because I didn't want to. And I like to think that if we knew the impact, we would do those things. I mean, if we think about um, the impact that um, nutrition and exercise could have in our life, right? That if we made that a priority, if we were responsible in those areas, it could lead to a longer lasting life more years on your life, health, less doctor's visits. So if we all just knew that, we would be very nutritious in exercise, right? Or if we knew that being more financially responsible with our money would lead to maybe an earlier retirement age, wouldn't we all just do that? Wouldn't that be nice? Or if we knew that changing the oil in our car or fixing that thing at home that we always meant to fix would lead to um, more value in our home, longer lasting um, on the market, that we would do those things. 
or my favorite if we knew that cleaning our house and doing the dishes would make our roommates or significant others happy all the time? We would just do it all the time, right? Well, it, it, obviously, we know the impacts, but we are still choosing to not do those responsibilities, to say, I don't want it, to step out on those responsibilities. And I think that is because we know the value, but we also know that the immediate gratification of saying, I don't want to, to those responsibilities outweighs the lasting impact of the responsibilities. In other words, the immediate gratification of our irresponsibility outweighs the lasting impact of our responsibility. If we say, I don't wanna in the moment, right, to those things, then boom, it just disappears. I get the immediate gratification of more money in my pocket, more time, less things on my to-do list, less energy spent, That's my immediate gratification that I'm getting, but I could be missing out on the lasting impact. And I think that's where a lot of us fall short in responsibility. Because we know that our irresponsibility is going to cost us something. We've talked about that for the last four weeks. It's gonna cost us um, someone else taking over that responsibility. It's gonna pass it on to someone else in our lives. Or if there's no one there, like Pastor Taylor said last week, it's gonna result in a brokenness. Something in our life is going to be broken. And we know that it's going to cost us, but in the moment, we aren't impacted by that. That is not phasing us in that moment when we're having to take care of that responsibility. And these responsibilities, they are just going to continue to acquire and change no matter what season of life we are walking through. They're not going anywhere. So how can we flip the scales so to speak? How can we um, choose, instead of our immediate gratification, choosing the lasting impact of our responsibilities? What if we started to consider and we thought about what we might be missing out on? What might be costing us, instead of the cost cost of our responsibility, like the time, money, the effort, what if we considered the cost that we were losing when it comes to that lasting impact that our responsibility could have. What could we be missing out on? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. And as we talk about this, we are gonna go to the chapter in our Bible, or the book of our Bible, I should say, um, Ruth. Now, um, I was sparked for this question, really this whole topic, because my women's group, so shout out to my women's group if you're watching, Hey there, everyone. And we've been studying the book of Ruth. It was just a short two-week study, but it really sparked something for me because if you haven't read Ruth before, it's in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's only four chapters long, so it's not a long read, and it's really engaging. So I encourage you, if you haven't read it before, to go back and do that this week. It'll fly by, and it's a really good story. And, you know, girl power, biblical women, women supporting women here. It's a great story of an amazing woman in the Bible. But we are not gonna focus on Ruth today, unfortunately, I'd love to tell you more about her. But instead, we're gonna talk about in this story two other people who were faced with contemplating the cost of responsibility on their lives. They were um, set up with this choice. And we get to see 
how the cost, the lasting impact, what it costed both of them. And so to give you a brief rundown, if you haven't read Ruth before, we're going to kind of fly through this um, for the sake of time, so stick with me here. Um, but there in the Bible, so it starts out with um, the time of Judges. So it's taking place in this time, this period of Judges, where um, it's kind of just overall chaos. Things are running awry socially, religiously, politically. Um, everyone is kind of just choosing to put their own needs First, they're prioritizing their immediate gratification over the lasting impact that they could be having. And the results of that, besides pure chaos, is that it leads to a dire lasting impact of a famine. And I know, like, thinking of a famine for us today is a little difficult because um, we can just go to the store and get what we need. But think about the time when you couldn't really get toilet paper or eggs, and then multiply that times a thousand, okay? That's what a famine would feel like. Um, because these people relied on the land for their food. They didn't have a store to go to. And so when they're faced with this, the characters in our story, we start out with Elimelech. I've been practicing that one, guys. Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. And they have two sons. And they decide to try to escape this famine that's taking place. They move. So they move their family to Moab to try to get away from all of this, to make a new life, to get away from the famine, and provide for their family. Now, when they get there to this new land, um, an unfortunate series of events happens. And I promise this is a great story, but some of these things that happen aren't so great. So the first thing that happens is Elimelech, the patriarch of the family, he dies. And that leaves Naomi and her two sons. Now, the important part here is that Naomi still has her sons, and her sons go on to get married. And so they have a wife, and one of those wives is Ruth, the main character, some might say, but the namesake of this book of the Bible. Now, it's not okay that Elimelech died. That sounds really bad. <laughs> Probably rephrase that. But Naomi still has her sons. And in the context for this that I did not understand until doing this Bible study um, with my group is that the context of this time culturally is that um, women couldn't own land. Women didn't have a lot of rights um, or a lot of those types of things. Men, the patriarch of your family, was the one that provided for you. They were the ones that could own the land. They sheltered you. They fed you. They provided a life for you. And don't get me wrong, women did a lot. Ruth, amazing in the story. Naomi, faithful and amazing. But in the culture, in the context of the culture, to really survive... They needed a male in their family to um, kind of take ownership over them at this time. So Naomi's doing okay because she has her sons, and her sons get married, and they have their wives. Um, and then about 10 years later or so, um, unfortunately, another dun-dun-dun in our story is that her sons die. Now this is where things get a little sticky in the story of Ruth. And Naomi, because um, without a male in their family, it's not looking so good for them, especially for Naomi, because at this time she's older, and while she maybe could get remarried, but having children, even if she did, they wouldn't be old enough to provide for her and the amount of time that she needed 
um, to survive. So she tells her, her daughter-in-laws, and she says, hey, girls, look, we're kind of faced with this tough situation. There's not really a quick fix here, but you're young. There's still hope for you. So I want you to go out and find new husbands and live your life and survive, really, right? To, to have a life worth living. And she gives them that opportunity, and one of the daughter-in-laws, she leaves. We cross her off, but she doesn't die like the rest. <laughs> That's probably dramatic. Um, but she does. She goes out, and I'm sure she gets happily remarried, lives her life, and it's great. I don't know for sure, but that's just what I think, what I like to imagine in my head anyway. And um, that leaves Ruth. And now Ruth, um, she says in response to this in chapter 1, verse 16, I'm going to read it for you here. She says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Now, I don't know how all of you feel about your mother-in-laws. Love mine, by the way, but I don't know how all of you feel about your mother-in-laws. This is a big commitment on a lot of levels. Ruth is saying, you know what, Naomi? I am faithful to you. And not only that, I'm faithful. I'm converting my religion. I am faithful to your God. And I believe he's going to provide for us, despite the circumstances that we're facing. Just, just one of the many ways that Ruth is amazing. So she chooses to stay. So that leaves Ruth and Naomi. And they travel back to Elimelech's hometown, per se, of Bethlehem. And they do this because that's kind of their only chance at survival. If they move back and find a relative of Elimelech to kind of take over for him, um, to essentially take ownership over their land, their household, and provide for them, that's their best, their best shot. So they move together from Moab to Bethlehem, another move. Ruth has never been there before. She's a Moabite woman. It's another big commitment on her part. And they move their household. And we're going to kind of skip through some of this here. So again, I encourage you to just read it this week because it's really engaging. Um, but it goes on. They, they get there. They're, um, Ruth is kind of working in the field. She's checking things out. And they meet a relative named Boaz. And um, Ruth, very modern, kind of like shoots her shot with Boaz and asks him to marry her. That's the way I interpreted it anyway. So you guys can read it for yourselves. But she kind of just goes out and steps out there um, and takes that chance. Again, what makes her so amazing, can't say it enough. And so Boaz is faced with this responsibility. Now Boaz, up until this point, I think he's living the bachelor life. In my head, anyway. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like he's living this life of bachelorhood. I imagine him um, to be doing that. And now he's faced with this choice, with this choice of responsibility. The Bible tells us that he's a man of good standing. And a man of good standing, he knows maybe what the right thing to do is. But that's a lot. Not only would he be taking on a wife and a mother-in-law and land, ownership over all those things, but he would also be taking over for more mouths to feed, to provide for, and changing his, his whole lifestyle, right? His whole bachelor lifestyle. The immediate gratification doesn't really feel like it would be there. There's a pro-con list here, and I feel like the con list 
it's probably a little longer. There's a lot to weigh. But Boaz, being a good upstanding citizen, he also knows that he's not technically next in line to take over for, um, to marry Ruth. He's not the next relative in line. So even though he's faced with this opportunity, he knows that there's someone else in this story. So he seeks out this person, and we're gonna read this in chapter four of Ruth if you wanna follow along on your phones and your Bibles, um, in verse three, I believe. And we're introduced to this character, the guardian redeemer. That's the person, the guardian redeemer. And that's a Hebrew term, it's a legal term, for the next one that's obligated to care for a relative in need. But for the sake of having to say guardian redeemer a lot of times today, we're gonna name him today, super fun. So I need online, you can type your answers, I will read them, so give me some funny ones. But in the crowd, shout out some names that we could name our guardian redeemer today. Ralph, Ralph that was nice and loud and clear. Anybody else? Any other contributions here? No, Ralph, oh, now I gotta say Ralph every time. I was thinking like Bill or Bob, but wow. Thank you, whoever shouted that one out. So our guardian redeemer's name is Ralph. The Bible doesn't name him, but we are going to for today. We're gonna give him some, some character. Maybe you can imagine some traits about Ralph in your head. I'll let you guys run wild with that one. Um, so Boaz goes up to the guardian redeemer, to Ralph, and he says to him, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling her piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. And he goes on to tell him, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention, Ralph, um, so that, and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here. There were some officials around for this because it was a proceeding kind of, right? He got the officials of the city to have this happen. And in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem, and it goes on, if you will redeem it, do so, but if you will not, tell me so that I will know, so that Boaz will know what to do. For no one has the right to do it except you, Ralph. And I am next, and then I am next in line. Next, Boaz is next in line. And I will redeem it, he said. So it sounds like Boaz has kind of made up his mind, but he's giving this opportunity, this chance at responsibility to the obligated one, to Ralph, the guardian redeemer. And <laughs> That's really fun to keep saying. Um, and it doesn't stop there. Okay, so when, we can go back a slide here, guys. So he, he offers it up to Ralph, offers the land up to him. And at this point, I think Ralph is thinking like, this is a pretty sweet deal. Like land equals food equals money, right? So he's like, yeah, I'll take on that land. I can do that. But Boaz goes on to add a little more here. The con list wasn't very long at this point, but he says, oh, and also, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, um, the dead man's widow. And in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, because that was part of the context at this time too. So now you, have to, you can take the land, but you also have to take the relatives with the land and provide for them. So the con list just got a little longer for Ralph here. He was all in before. That immediate gratification, it was there. Land, money, food, check, he was ready. But now, now that he realizes there's this other responsibility here, 
I think Ralph is seeing the way that his immediate gratification wouldn't be met. He's not looking very far out at the lasting impact that this decision could have, but he knows that um, doing this, that acquiring a wife and a mother-in-law along with the land would really reshape and disrupt his life. The Bible study we were doing even talked about how like this man, Ralph, could have had a family of his own that could have disrupted that whole that whole um, dynamic in his life. There's a lot that could have gone along with that. So then Ralph changes his mind. And he says that I cannot redeem it. I take that back. Because I might endanger my own estate. I might disrupt my own life too much. So Boaz, you redeem it because I cannot do it. He says, no thanks. He says, I don't want to that responsibility, right? He doesn't step up and take action. He chooses to step out. And a lot of times, we can be like Ralph in this situation, right? We can choose, we can see the way that that responsibility is going to be a little too much for us, and we step out. That immediate gratification just isn't there. Now, Boaz, as we kind of already know, he knows what he's going to do next. And he decides to accept that responsibility, and he does buy it. And in the way that this happens in the story, too, you have to read it, it's with like a sandal, which again, context here, right? We don't purchase things with our sandals anymore. But in this time, that's how that went down. And Boaz goes on to announce to everyone around him, And all the people, he says, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech and these other people I'm not going to try to pronounce. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite and as his wife. So he's pretty proud. And he's doing this in order, I think it goes on to say, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. He's doing the right thing so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. So today you are all witnesses. Boaz is proud of this. He's announcing it to these people. So not only is he taking responsibility, but he's doing it in a way that is so honoring of those who have passed and of Ruth and her mother-in-law. And at the time, I think that Boaz is not focused on the immediate gratification because now he's faced with acquiring a lot more responsibility, more mouths to feed, more people in his life to shelter, more land to figure out what to do with. There's a lot that comes along with this, but Boaz wasn't focused on the here and now. He wasn't focused on what was happening in that moment. And I don't even think that he really understood the lasting impact that this decision, that this responsibility was about to have. Because besides Ruth and Boaz, the story of Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi really being a great story of faithfulness, of redemption, there's a lot you can learn here. But besides those things and the way that that's impacted us, there's another reason that we still talk about Ruth and Boaz today. If this, which is definitely not a Bible, I'm going to preface that for later, this was a story of Boaz's life, right? If this was Boaz's life story, he wasn't looking ahead and taking a peek at the end. He didn't know, just like many of us don't know 
what that lasting impact is. He had no idea. But I'm going to tell you guys today what that was. Because they got to be a part, Ruth and Boaz got to be a part of a lasting legacy. They were in the bloodline of the greatest gift that we have received of God's greatest plan, of the climax of his story, of God's story. And they got to be a part of that because they were in the the bloodline of Jesus. From Ruth and Boaz, that led to Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. What an amazing thing to be a part of. And he didn't know that at the time. I doubt that he thought in that moment that we'd still be talking about him thousands and thousands of years later. What a legacy. Now, I had this all kind of planned out to show you, but on the next screen is going to be a QR code. So you can scan this. Hopefully it works. And for those of you watching online, they can make it big so you can scan it from your screen or just head to this um, address down here. And it shows you this really nice diagram of Jesus's um, bloodline, both the divine and the human right? Because there's kind of two aspects to this. And it's really great, and it gives little descriptions of them. Some of them are even kind of funny, which I enjoy. Um, So it goes through all the way down. You follow the line. You see Ruth and Boaz, and eventually leads to Jesus. So check that out. I wasn't about to try to pronounce all those names for you today. So you can find those for yourself. But it's amazing, right? And I don't think that Ralph knew what he was missing, right? I don't know where Ralph is or where he went in this story, but if we could imagine it, probably went back to the life he was living. But we're not talking about him. He's not even named in the Bible. Um, So whatever he did do, whatever that lasting impact he had was, it wasn't as quite as amazing as the way that Boaz got to be a part of his own story, right? And We all have a chance at having a lasting impact. Like Taylor talked about last week, about stepping up and taking action. We all have a story that's being written each and every day. And as we flip through the pages of our lives, those responsibilities feel really heavy, right? Day after day, we're flipping through. And it feels like a lot. That immediate gratification feeling isn't always there. Instead, I'm feeling the weight of my never-ending to-do list, of the financial responsibilities that I have in my life, or the weight that relationships are taking. But when we consider, instead, what those things might be costing us, we can be reminded in those moments, don't lose your legacy. Don't lose your legacy. Don't miss out on what could be waiting for you either at the end of your story or in the middle of that story for that matter. Think about when you're faced with um, the cost of financial responsibility, that upfront immediate gratification cost because I would much rather buy that cup of Starbucks coffee every day of the week or spend on that new boat, that luxury item. That's costing you something. 
Maybe that's costing you the impact that you could have had on your family financially. Maybe it's costing you the impact that your generosity could have had on families in your community for that matter, right? The difference that your money could make when you're being generous with it. You could be losing pieces of your legacy. Maybe it's the responsibility that comes from being a sister, a son, from being a significant other, a spouse, a friend. The, the amount of time that it would take to invest in that relationship, time away from your own interests, the weight that it would, that it would cost, right, to have to say, I forgive you or I'm sorry. That just feels like too much right now. I don't wanna. What could we be missing out on instead? You could be missing out on the fact that that person in your life, that person was meant to make all the difference in your story. You could be missing out on maybe being that person in their life and changing and impacting them For some of us, maybe we've been stepping out on being a good neighbor. Just that general, you know, being a good person to those around us, to showing them love, to being responsible with our call to serve others. Because, you know, stopping to say hey to my neighbors and chat with them for a little too long, that's gonna cost me too much of my time. Or maybe that extra volunteering after work or serving on a Sunday morning, that's a lot. And don't get me wrong, it is. There's some costs there, right? But we could be missing out on pages of our legacy, of the way that we were meant to be a part of God's story in someone else's life. I was just thinking about my women's group as I wrote this this week and the way that they've been able to impact my life, not only to bring this message, but just to encourage me to be accountable, right? They could be recoursing the way that I view faith, the way that I engage with Jesus in my life. And without that, I could be losing a piece of my legacy. For some of us who are following Jesus, there may be some ways that we have been stepping out on our responsibility to follow him right? That the time that it might take to study or pray or join in community with others, it's just a little too much right now. It's another thing on our to-do list, another thing on our schedule. But we could be missing out on the greatest legacy, the greatest part of our story without even knowing it. Because when we know what these things are costing us, when we know we're losing that lasting impact, that can make all the difference in those moments when we're faced with those choices to step up or step out. Because having God be a piece of this story, he invites us in to something so much greater than ourselves. Because when we decide to follow Jesus, when we decide to give our lives to God, 
that's not just us saying, well, now I know where I'm gonna go when I die, check. It's something so much bigger than that. It's God inviting us along in this opportunity, in this story of kingdom living here on earth. It's our chance to be a part of a story that we could not even imagine. He changes something in us in that moment that continues for us to seek him and to be responsible with our faith and to push forward in those times where it's tough because we know that we are a part of something greater than ourselves, that we get a chance to be a part of God's story, just like Boaz was a part of Jesus' story. We're all invited into that if we just don't lose it first, if we don't trade it in for that immediate gratification. And some of you may be thinking, that's not me. I am not either on that track. Um, I don't deserve to be a part of that story. You might be thinking that today. Um, And maybe you're just here by default, right, to make someone else happy. And so this, you feel like it doesn't apply to you. But that's not what Jesus says. In his death and his resurrection, in the forgiveness of our sins, he invites us all to continue on this journey. He invites us in to be a part of it. He died for all of us. He died for all the imperfect people and especially the broken and perfect people. So don't count yourself out. Don't lose your legacy, especially before you've even discovered what that could look like. I think there's a lot of ways that we've kind of all fallen short at different times of our personal responsibility over our faith to follow Jesus. But the amazing thing about that is that he doesn't just count us out. He forgives us and he continues to love us no matter what. The story continues on. And it's our job to step up and take action. So this morning, we are going to take the rest of the service to really reflect on the amazing way that Jesus invites us in to be a part of his story. And we're gonna do this with communion. Um, If you didn't receive your communion cup now, you can definitely go grab one. But for some of you, this may feel a little awkward. You may still be considering how you are a piece of all of this, a part of this story, and that is okay. Here at Infuse, we invite you to continue to explore your faith and to figure that out. Grab a faith growth guide in the back, or maybe you're just gonna take this opportunity to fill out your connection card. Get to know a pastor here at Infuse that can answer some of those questions for you. Or maybe take the rest of this service to reflect on what Jesus could bring to your life. What, What can I surrender to him and what would that look like? This is that time. For the rest of us in the room that may be already on this path of following Jesus, maybe your next step is owning up. It's taking responsibility over exploring the next steps in your faith. And here at Infuse, those next steps look like baptism, right? Maybe that's the thing you need to consider or reflect upon today with Jesus. 
Maybe those next steps are giving, generous, being generous with those around you. Not just giving to the church, but giving in general. Maybe that next step for you is getting in a group, joining in community, or inviting someone around you to get to know Jesus even better and investing in that relationship. It's not often that we get to pause in our lives to be able to take time to reflect on these things. So during this, please just reflect on those instances where maybe you're seeking forgiveness for your lack of responsibility, or maybe you're just guiding and asking for wisdom on those next steps. So I'm gonna invite you to take communion now, and as we do so, you can remove that top layer of your cup. That's where you're gonna find the wafer, and I'll guide you through, and then there's one more layer for the drink. So we'll take this all together in just a moment. And we do that as a symbol. Communion is a symbol, a time to remember the gift of God's love, of God's son, Jesus, and him giving his life to love us in perfect people. To invite us in to be a part of his kingdom story here on earth. So as we take this bread, let us remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying this, this is my body, broken for you, my followers. Eat it in remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant that my blood on that cross makes. This new way that you are invited into the story. So when you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. So don't lose this legacy. Let's all bow our heads and as you're comfortable, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful for this opportunity that we get to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We take this time to lift up those things on our hearts, those responsibilities that we know have been weighing us down those things that we've been saying, I don't want to. We ask for your forgiveness for the ways that we have let you down. We ask for forgiveness in our lives over the ways that we have lacked that responsibility. But we thank you for the love you've shown us despite all of that. Help us to take this moment to feel that change. To not let this story end today with an inspiring word or with reading the Bible, but to continue to invest in our story. To seek you, to seek that kingdom living that you set out for us here on earth. Give us the power and the strength that we need to continue to do that in face of the things that we're faced with daily. Don't let us lose our legacy. And we pray those things 
in your name. Amen.